Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. My guest today is Mark Dunley. And Mark is going to talk about pandemics and climate change. Mark, I was watching TV about a, a week ago, and they were saying that because of climate change, there's going to be more and more pandemics. Can you explain that? Well, w- one of the things that um, drives climate change, which is also a cause of the pandemics, is that we our development patterns, we basically take away uh, a lot of the the forest and, and places that animals live. And it forces animals into much um, tighter areas. And the animals um, that don't normally interact with one another, you know, do that on more occasions. And, you know, that's what... Um, leads to these pandemics uh, occurring, um, particularly when the virus jumps from one animal to another animal and then jumps to um, to humans. Um, you know, certainly in general, we expect to see a lot more uh, infectious diseases occur, um, particularly things like it was the Zika virus, um, you know, viruses that, you know, survive better in warmer temperatures um, do better, obviously, during the climate change because the temperature is getting hotter. And also, um, you know, not only are animals um, moving, but, you know, areas which were, um, you know, more moderate in temperature now have higher temperatures. And so insects that, you know, help transmit some, not all, obviously, but but some of these diseases you know, move into to new uh, areas, and, and that helps spread, um, you know, various viruses and various infectious diseases around. So um, there, I guess there's been pandemics like about 10 years ago, but this is this is a big one. Were you expecting something like this? Well, you know, to be honest, I'm not an expert. On this issue, but people who have studied pandemics, um, you know, certainly we're expecting more and more of these to occur. And this is, I think, like the third in the the last 15 years. So it is beginning um, to to accelerate. You know, certainly, you know, people have talked a lot with so-called, you know, Spanish flu, though it really wasn't either one of those. Um, you know, that took place almost, you know, a century ago. So, you know, throughout history, um, there have been many, many, um, you know, plagues of this nature, which have negatively impacted, you know, a large percentage of the population. Um, It's just that now we're seeing them on a more frequent basis. And particularly with with COVID-19, 
is that the um, you know rate of the transmission is so um, rapid, um, where some of the other um, particularly viral viruses that we saw, like SARS and stuff like that, which had a higher mortality rate, they weren't as easy to um, transmit, uh, and so therefore why the fatality rate was much higher uh, than COVID-19, which is actually somewhat mild for a virus in terms of its fatality rate. The problem with this virus is that um, the infection rate is so much higher than the previous one. So less of a mortality rate, but a lot more people getting infected, and so more people die as a result. What do you think that is? What do you think more people are getting this infection uh, rather than the ones that have, um, you know, that we've experienced before? Uh, you know, it's just sort of the roll of the dice. Um, you know, some will be, you know, quicker rates of infection or easier rates of of, of infection. Um, but the more that you have of them, obviously, then, you know, say one out of every five, just throwing out a number, uh, is, you know, particularly have a high rate of, of, you know, infection. If you have, you know, five of them in a 20, 25-year period, uh, then it's more likely you're going to get to the, the pandemic, um, you know, stages. So we're increasing the situations that lead to these viruses arising, and the more viruses arising, the more possibility there is that one of them will then, you know, be like this one. This one, you know, as I said, you know, they're debating, you know, whether the mortality rate is, you know, between 1% and, and 3%, you know, some of these other viruses had, you know, mortality rates much, 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 much higher. And so that if you got in this situation with the virus or, you know, another infectious disease with both a very high mortality rate and a very high rate of infection, you know, that's when you get like, you know, what was it, the Black Plague, you know, during the Middle Ages where so many, you know, mm-hmm. you know people died. But, but, you know, the thing is, in in pandemics that were uh, here about 10, 15 years ago, the total economy did not close down. Why did it close down this time compared to last time when it wasn't? Well, it was because of the high rate of, of, you know, infection. I mean, the one... um, that particularly had a very high rate of infection, which, you know, was primarily limited to a country, couple countries in Africa, you know, wasn't, you know, you had to really have real, you know, close physical body contact with, with somebody who had the disease. Um, you know, this one is, you know, uh, people can, you know, droplets will come out from a, from a cough or a sneeze and stay in the air, you know, for three hours or six hours on the surface. It's just a lot easier to transmit. Um, you know, certainly if the, you know, some of the previous um, viruses that arose had been more widely felt, um, that, you know, would have led to a um, similar type of lockdown. I, I, I mean, also one of the things with this particular virus is that, 
in, in the previous situation, you were very sick and very evident before you became um, able to transmit it. And so it was, you know, somewhat easier to initially isolate. This person is sick, get him or her, you know, into a quarantine uh, situation. Now, in this case, somebody may be transmitting it for several days um, without anybody being, you know, aware of it. And we started, you know, so late that um, it was, we basically were playing, you know, catch up. The, The best way is to identify people who have, you know, the illness and then isolate them so that they cannot, um, you know, transmit it. Uh, in this case, you know, the, the virus is already rapidly spreading uh, before we became aware uh, of its existence, um, and, and particularly as it moved um, from Europe and Asia, you know, in, into the United States. And like, you know, in New York City, I mean, yes, uh, certainly one can fall, particularly Mayor de Blasio, also Governor Cuomo, for how slowly they move to, you know, respond to this. But, you know, the other problem is just that New York City is really, a, you know, a major, probably one of the biggest port of entries in the world for people traveling, you know, from other countries. And I think the expectation is at this point that, uh, you know, travelers from Europe um, was, were bringing the virus over without us understanding that it was occurring. And, and by the time, you know, doctors began to say, hey, we got a case here at this, you know, hospital or clinic and we need to take action, it was already pretty, you know, widespread in the um, in the population. The horse was out of the barn, so to speak. I remember, I think it was last year when I heard you speak once, and you said that because of climate change, um, this world has like maybe a life a lifespan of maybe 70 more years. And I was shocked by that. I thought, oh, my God, you know, our children and grandchildren might not, you know, live to see another day at some point. So is your prediction, do you still hold to that prediction? Um, Have you shortened that prediction or have you made it longer? You know, I, I, I think no one can really predict what's going to happen uh, at this point. I, I think there's certainly a real uh, significant possibility that by the end of the century, that civilization as we presently know it, um, you know, will no longer exist. Um, you know, what that means is unclear. Um, you know, certainly some scientists have raised the possibility of the extinction uh, of the human species. You know, that's still, um, you know, a very small percentage. But, you know, one of the problems is is that the uh, international planet, uh, international um, panel on climate change, which is the one that warned that, you know, a year or two ago that we had about 12 years left, for unprecedented worldwide action to deal with climate change, every single prediction that the IPCC has made, or most of the predictions, um, have been incorrect. Um, They have underestimated 
the speed and severity of, of, of climate change. So other um, scientists, um, including a study I believe at Harvard, said that perhaps the time frame to, to solve the climate crisis is closer to, to five years. You know, other, you know, certainly climate change is already current. It's too late to stop it. Um, the, the issue is to what extent can we, um, you know, sort of reduce the impact. And I think also as we've seen with the COVID-19 situation that, you know, in this particular case, certainly a lot of the elderly, um, you know, are, are, are dying at a much faster rate. But it's also people um, who live in poverty, so that's a very high percentage of people, you know, of color, um, African-Americans in particular, but, but, but also Latinos. Um, and I think we're going to see this, we, the same type of thing occur with, you know, climate change, that we're going to deny that the problem is real until it's late in the game, uh, we're then going to try to take ineffective action to do it. And then it's going to be a fight to how do you allocate resources. And do you allocate resources as if you value the life of every single you know person? Or, you know, do the rich uh, and the celebrities and the powerful, um, you know, get more, you know, access to it? And, you know, one of the concerns with COVID-19 is that, you know, Climate change hasn't taken a pause. So climate change is continuing to accelerate, continue to get worse. And, you know, pretty much our political leaders, first of all, they reacted way too slowly to the crisis of COVID-19 and did a very poor job, especially in preparation. But now that's all they want to talk about. Um, and, you know, you can't, just solve the COVID-19 crisis and then allow the the more threatening crisis of climate change um, to go unbated. You know, we can't take, we can't afford to take a two-year pause in, you know, trying to deal um, with, with, with climate change. And, and, and certainly, you know, a lot of the people who have been most resistant to taking action on climate change are not surprisingly the same people have been resistant to taking um, effective action on on COVID-19. So that's not a very you know you know good situation. And honestly, many of us are very worried um, that if you know Donald Trump and his climate denial and COVID-19 you know misinformation uh, is reelected president, uh, we're in really bad shape. Uh, to be honest, a lot of us are not particularly thrilled with who the Democrats appear ready to nominate Joe Biden, at least when it comes to, to the climate issue. So this is a very, very scary issue. And I was just on a phone call earlier today with uh, a number of the students who have been mobilizing on, on, on climate change. And, you know, they're going to, you know, say to the legislative leaders, we understand the importance of dealing with COVID-19, but it is unacceptable for you all to hunker down and just focus on that issue and to ignore climate change. You already threatened the future of our generation uh, with your 30 years of inaction on, on climate change. Now that you're at least beginning to grasp the seriousness of the problem, you know, we can't afford for you to take a two-year timeout or five-year timeout to deal with this crisis while the climate crisis uh, continues to accelerate. And, of course, a lot of, you know, the world that you want to create 
you know, to deal with the COVID-19, you know, emergency where you, um, you know, as the economy collapses and we have, you know, unemployment rivaling that, if not exceeding that, of the, of the Great Depression, the type of society we need to, to build right now in order to respond to COVID-19 is really the type of society we need to continue, you know, um, moving forward. And, you know, they've been saying, you know, it's really too expensive to deal with climate change. It's one of the reasons we can't do that. The amount of money that Congress has thrown so far uh, at the COVID-19 stuff, it's kind of basically equivalent to what we would need to deal with climate change. So it's sort of like, if you could do it with COVID-19, you can do it with, with the climate crisis. The problem is it still remains the lack of, you know, political will and the understanding that this is a serious problem and the understanding willing to, you know, stand up to the, the fossil fuel industries. And, to, you know, as I said earlier, I mean, the, the, the things that create climate change are the same um, development issues that resulted in this pandemic arising. You know, one of the things that I've seen on TV and possibly many people have when you watch the news is how animals are slowly coming out of where they were, right, like into streets, and they're becoming a lot more visible. So what instinct do they have that they know something's going on? Right. Well, yeah, one of the things I wanted to mention earlier was also um, while, you know, it's unclear whether the um, human species will go extinct, what is very clear is that most, if not a majority, of the species on this planet are going extinct. And, and, and that was uh, actually occurring um, before even before climate change, uh, and, and, you know, and that's been the loss of, of, of habitat to development, and it's that loss of habitat which is driving the exp- extinction of the other species on the planet. It's called the sixth great extinction uh, in the mm-hmm. planet's history. Um, those are the same forces that are driving, um, you know, the rise of more and more um pandemics but but the other issue you raise is that when um you know human beings go into a this shutdown mode you know yes we're seeing wildlife come back into you know urban areas um basically they know enough to to run away from human beings because that's not a friendly species for them to try to coexist with and so when you know humans you know stay indoors you know, animals are more willing to, to step out and, you know, suddenly you see coyotes and, and deers and, you know, porcupines and, you know, you know, urban areas where, you know, they're, they're less frequent. They, you know, often they've been there, but they've been more hiding. But without the human beings to scare them away, they're becoming more visible. You know, because certainly they didn't watch it on CNN. So there's got to be some instinct that says, gee, these these bleeping humans are not around. We can now escape from where where we are now. And I find this very interesting. Right. Well, 
I mean, this gets into more philosophical, you know, debate. Um, but, you know, you mentioned, you know, instinct and, you know, what exactly is instinct? And, you know, is instinct, you know, some type of, you know, more planetary consciousness that, uh, you know, animals are more attuned to? You know, human beings probably at one point was attuned to it, um, but have moved away from it. You know, one of the theories, you know, that I follow is uh, called Gaia. And, you know, and that is that everything on the planet um, is interconnected. They're actually one one being. Um, It's just that, you know, humans have sort of turned off the, um, you know, the receiver. So, you know, we we, we don't catch as as many signals. And, of course, there's always, you know, indications that uh, animals are always or often much more aware when a natural disaster is about to occur, you know, whether it's, a, you know, an earthquake or a tsunami, um, you know, that somehow um, they sense that something's about to occur and begin to react, you know, a day or two before, you know, human beings do. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, um, you know, people are sequestered in their homes. If they go out, they wear the mask, they wear gloves. How do you think we can combat this in the future so we never live through something like this again? You know, I don't know if, well, A, you know, you do be, the assumption is that after this pandemic passes, hopefully it does pass. And and I get worried about that, to be honest, because, um, you know, the food system is particularly vulnerable. You know, yesterday, the uh, president, um, you know, ordered the um, meat processing facilities right. to, you know, remain open uh, because right. men are being forced to, to close down. You know, farmers are losing a ton of money at this point because a lot of their markets, particularly institutions and schools or restaurants, are no longer buying it. So I get very worried about, you know, whether the food system, um, you know, you know, will collapse um, you know, there was a lot of warnings, uh, even Bill Gates, but, you know, the World Health Organization says that there was never a question whether the world was going to experience another pandemic. Uh, the only issue was when would we, expect, you know, experience it. And, and politicians are really bad at, you know, long-term planning. Well, if you're telling me there's a 10% chance that something's going to occur really bad in 15 years, I don't need to deal with that. Um, you know, I, I'm dealing with the immediate um, problems that, that come up. I'm, I'm dealing with what the voters are, are talking about. Politicians are not at all good at, you know, long-term planning. And we can't afford that. And so, I mean, the assumption is once this, you know, pandemic is brought more under control, that the reports that have been out there for, for decades now saying how we have to prepare for pandemics you know, will be revisited. Um, you know, the United States, I mean, you know, the United States is leading the world in um, deaths from from this pandemic. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we are the world's superpower, and, and yet we had the world's worst uh, response. You know, we've been spending all our money building up the military, 
rather than building up hospitals, our public health infrastructure, you know, isn't there. We're the only industrial uh, nation without a universal health care system. I mean, I support, you know, single payer. You know, one program pays all bills, like, you know, an expanded and improved Medicare for all. But, you know, getting access to, to health care um, needs to become a, a human right in the United States like the rest of the world. I mean, I just heard a story about, you know, one trucker, you know, basically trying to get out-of-network coverage to, you know, he was out of state, um, needed treatment, you know, you know, couldn't get it. Um, you, you look at what's going on in the nursing homes. Uh, just reading this morning in uh, Rensselaer County, my home county, you know, such a high percentage of the deaths have occurred at this one um, mm-hmm. nursing home in, in, in Scaticoke. And that's been, you know, sort of true, you know, worldwide. I'm mean, sorry, in the United Nation, in the United States. I'm not sure if nursing homes have been such the epicenter of deaths in the entire world, but it's definitely been the epicenter of deaths in the United mm-hmm. States. And that's because we're not providing, you know, adequate, you know, coverage. So you got to rebuild the public health community. You got to make health, access to health care, you know, right. Um, you know, the governor and the politicians have been closing down you know, hospitals, you know, across the state in order to save money. I mean, you, the, the crazy thing is that while the United States has about the worst health care system among the industrial democracies on the planet, so like we're ranking on number 33 in the quality of our health care, we actually spend twice as much money on health care um, per capita as all the other industrial democracies. So we, we we basically spend a huge amount of money to make the drug companies, the insurance companies um, rich, uh, and yet we deny basic health care um, to so many Americans. And, and that, of course, you know, relates back to, you know, income inequality and, you know, particularly, uh, you know, negative impact on, you know, people of color who also tend to be the people um you, you tend to have a lower income. You know, um, campaigns have changed drastically over the last couple of months. Has the race for New York State controller been right now? Do you think it would have uh, been, do you think the dialogue would have been a lot different I mean, I don't. I don't think the controller race would be because I don't think most people understand what the controller does. You know, they view it more as an administrative um, job, and they're probably not even clear why we even vote. You know, for the controller, you know, they understand like Congress or, you know, the governor or the president, but they don't really understand. You know what a, um, you know, controller does. And okay. you know, you know, right now I think it's people having a hard time focusing on anything other than um, you know how do I feed my family tomorrow, and you know how do right. I try to ensure I don't get uh, you know COVID nineteen. So I'm not sure how mm-hmm. much they're paying to the the, the political stuff at this point. Okay. And you know, okay. a lot of people are very upset. They you know canceled the uh, Democratic presidential primary. Uh, in New York State, um, 
I don't think there's many of us who would jump at the opportunity to, you know, stand on a line on election day in order to vote. And there's been real resistance to really doing, um, you know, mail ballots, which I'll be honest. And I said, ah, you know, mail ballots, possibility of fraud. But, you know, I did a little research and, you know, other states like Oregon and others have done mail ballots find the opposite. They find it's actually um, generally fairly secure. So, I mean, I mm-hmm. hope that's one of the things we do after this election, um, you know, is look at how do we, uh, you know, make it easier uh, to vote. But, I mean, I don't know if the world's ever going back to the way it was. Um, I know a lot of people say they're never going to shake, you know, somebody's uh, hand again. Um, how long? How long will will, will we be, um, you know, wearing masks in, in public and you know trying to, you know, practice, um, you know, physical, you know, distance? I think the world has changed, and um, you know, I hope we can, you know, as they say, a, a crisis is also, you know, an opportunity, and you know, I hope that we actually take the COVID-19 crisis to say, you know, how do we um, redesign our world? And I think one of the things that sort of, uh, I guess, maybe shocks the the world, it, you know, as you look at these pictures of, you know, cities across the planet and, you know, suddenly the air is clear uh, and suddenly you can see the mountains, you know, 10 miles outside the city, uh, and that's right. because as we stop burning all this fossil fuels, you know, all this um, smog go away. And, and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people on an annual basis die from air pollution. Um, and, and maybe it's time now to say, you know, air pollution really isn't what, you know, we need. Not only is it driving this climate change, which is, you know, threatens, you know, our existence as a society, if not as a species. Um, but it's also killing us. Um, and, you know, maybe we should focus a little bit more on, you know, creating healthy lifestyles um, and, and taking more focus on providing, you know, good health care. And, and, and maybe our concept of time has changed. You know, the world in the United States is, you know, time is money. And so we're always moving faster and faster and faster. Um, is that really the, the, the way that we want to organize human society, where there is no time to do anything other than work? Mark, that time is up. So give yourself a little plug at the final moment. Uh, well, so I'm with the Green Education Legal Fund, uh, org, and also in the Capital District with PAUSE. Uh, people will all be united for safe energy, and we're uh, pauseenergy.org is our local website. Thanks. You, you've been listening to Mark Gomley. This is focused on Albany. If you like this show, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Mark, thank you. Stay well, and thanks for being on Focus on Albany. Have a great day, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.